We're going to take a few minutes and pray and ask God's blessing on our time and uh, they get rolling with the study. So let's pray. Father, thanks for uh, just the opportunity to meet, time to gather. We thank you, God, for your word tonight. We ask that you would speak to us. We want to hear you. We want to hear from you. We want to be inspired tonight. We want to be encouraged. We want to receive revelation. God, we're just looking for uh, you to meet with us and to do what you do in our hearts and in our lives. I pray that we would be yielded and open and ready to receive all that you want to say and do. So, God, tonight, have your way. Uh, we give this time to you. I pray uh, as we focus and as we set aside the cares of the day uh, that this would be a time where clearly uh, we're hearing, clearly we're receiving of you. We give you thanks tonight uh, for being here. We've gathered in the name of Jesus, and uh, we ask God, have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have Bibles, uh, go ahead and open to Genesis 44. If you need a Bible, you can grab one off the table. Genesis 44. And as you're opening there, just a quick reminder that we have an interactive feature with Bible study. Uh, it is through the website www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. If you'd like to leave us a message, ask a question, anything you'd like to communicate to us, you can go to that web page and you toggle a button there and leave us a message. Be like a voicemail and we'll endeavor to play that next time we gather. So Genesis chapter 44 and verse 5. Somebody like to read that, that'd be great. Isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you've done. <laughs> That's a fact. Okay, thanks for reading that. Uh, what you have here is a passage that, uh, also from the story of Joseph, and this involves his brothers. Uh, they had come to Egypt in order to obtain grain. Uh, there was a famine that was going on in their home country and so the dad had sent them and uh, they had also brought their younger brother if you read the whole story you kind of understand what's happened but all of them are there including the younger brother Benjamin and so they brought money they paid for the grain they uh, Joseph they didn't know who he was they just saw him as the second in command of Egypt and so Joseph had treated them to dinner, to, to whatever, uh, showed them a good time there in Egypt, and then the next morning sent them on their way. Now, but there was something that he did there, and that was he included his cup. He had a cup, a silver cup, that he used every day that he told his uh, chamberlain or whoever it was that was packing their bags to put the money back in their bags, but also to throw the cup into Benjamin's bag. And so they didn't know that. Benjamin didn't know that. The brothers didn't know that. And so they were heading back with the grain and also just said, okay, you need to go chase him down. Somebody stole my cup. Well, he obviously knew that Benjamin had the cup, but he sent him after him anyway. And, uh, and they uh, found the cup in Benjamin's bag. They brought them all back, and they were accused of stealing. And so really what I want to look at, the verse that, we're looking at tonight is it has to do with that cup 
It has to do with the silver cup that Joseph was using as a tool. And to understand how it's being used as a tool is to understand the, the way that we can see what he's trying to accomplish through this. So, um, so he was trying with the cup, and I'm just going to start off here. He was trying his brothers or how his brothers felt toward Benjamin. Because uh, Joseph and Benjamin were related through the same mother. But they were the two sons of the same mother, Rachel. And then there were, the other brothers were of Rachel's sister. And then there were concubines involved in that and servants involved in that. And so throughout whatever happened there, the brothers were all either brothers of the same mother or some of them were brothers of a servant or the same servant girl or whatever. But it was Joseph and Benjamin particularly that were... Uh, the sons of Rachel. And he had reason to test them. Why do you think he had reason to test them? Think about that for a second. Why would he want to know how they felt about Benjamin? They didn't like him. Right. The brothers didn't like him. They were jealous of him. And so because they were jealous of him, he would have reason to be concerned that they would be jealous also of Benjamin in his absence. Does that make sense to everybody? And so he put this cup in the bag in order to try this, to test it, to see how the brothers felt about Benjamin. Because, I mean, if you think about it, that if they had every pretense at that point, and, and Joseph could have said, okay, well, and, and this is what he was trying in them, they had every reason to leave Benjamin there as a slave at that point because they were all in trouble, right? All of them. They were all in trouble. They had all, they, they were in it together. And yet there the cup was, that silver cup was found in Benjamin's bag. And so they could have definitely thrown him under the bus at that point. They had every reason to do so. And so this was Joseph's way of trying to find out, okay, well, how do they really feel about Benjamin? They had put on a show that, oh, he's, you know, my, he's our father's youngest, he's the most precious, all these other things. But when it comes right down to it, when it's you or them, when it comes right down to it, when it's you or that other person, you really begin to find out, okay, how do you really feel about that other person? I think we take it for granted sometimes when we have people in our lives that really care about us. I really do. I think we just take that for granted because a lot of times when people are close to us, we just don't really see it anymore. It's like you get too close to somebody and, and that's it and that, that's who they are or whatever and we really can't see that. And yet those are the people many times that are willing to say, okay, I prefer you. In other words, I would lay down my life for your life. And there's something really powerful about that. Greater love has no person than that, that they would lay down their life for their friends. And so we can't take that for granted. That's Jesus' teaching. That's what he says. And so those are the people we need to value in our lives. And over the years, it's just become painfully obvious that, that we, and we're included in this, we don't necessarily value those people. 
A lot of times we'll value someone who else, like who? Someone that entertains us, someone that interests us, someone that uh, does something for us that we appreciate or we like or that we, we want or we think we need. Whether or not they really care enough about us to really lay down anything for us, much less their life, that's a whole other story. But whatever we perceive or whatever is thing we need, a lot of times that that's the person we're going to value. And that's the wrong thing to value. And so I want to encourage you that, and, and I, I know I'm like this, with the people that are closest to me, you know, those are the people that you take for granted first a lot of times. And so because of that, you have to be careful that those are the very people that you need to value the most. And you need to make sure that you're revisiting that and taking the time and making the effort to give them the value that really they deserve. So they, so Joseph wanted to find out, so he used this cup as a means of testing. And one of the things that you learn from this is that Joseph didn't assume that his brothers were exactly the same as they were. All right? Because he at least put the test out there, didn't he? Because remember, these are the guys, this is the family. These are the, these are the same people that faked his death and sold him into slavery. That's who they are. That's who they were. But to his credit, even though these guys had sold him into slavery, he gave them the opportunity to show themselves different. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So instead of assuming that they're, they're still the rats that they were, instead of assuming that they're still the ones, that, that they're still as, as conniving and evil as they had been when they sold him into slavery, they were still as jealous as they had been when they sold him into slavery. Think about that. So instead of assuming that, which he could have, he put him to the test. So in other words, in other words, he had every reason to put him to the test, I think, to at least find out if they had changed, to at least find out if they were the same as they were. And he did. But the, the thing we learned from Joseph is you can't judge a man for who he is now by who he was. And I thank God for that because, you know, my life has changed over time. And so the man that I was, the person that I was when I was 19 is not the same person that I am now. The person that I was in my 20s is not the same person I am now, my 30s or my 40s, and I'm not the same person that I am now. And so the, the, the people that come my way, that they have a picture of me in my 30s, well, that's not the same person I am anymore. And you're not the same person you were either. And so because we're not the same people that we were in our 20s or in our 30s or whenever it was, there come those moments in our life where we look at that and we say, okay, well, all right, what are we going to do today? What are you going to do today? Are we going to just keep living the same thing from 15, 20, 30 years ago? Some of you, that's too old. 10 years ago, 5 years ago? <laughs> I mean, seriously, though, are we just going to keep repeating the same patterns? Are we still the same person? Probably not. 
And so there probably needs to be some evidence or some expectation of change in our life to really look at that and say, all right, well, all right, I'm not the same person I was. And so something needs to change in me and to have an expectation and to really believe God that these are moments that can bring change. And you also can't judge a person that they're going to do the same things because of what they had done. And that's really what I'm getting at right now. And that's what Joseph is saying here. And you see that being lived out through him. That he could have been bitter. He could have been angry. He could have just decided, well, they're the same guys as they were. I mean, physically they were. They were older, but they were still the same people. But he gave them an opportunity to do something differently this time. And that's why the cup was put into Benjamin's bag. If you've ever wondered, why did he do that? That's why he did it. That's why he did it. He wanted to see if they were the same. He wanted to see if they were different. He wanted to see if something had happened in their lives over the years that they had been separated. Because he didn't know them anymore. And he recognized that fact he didn't know him anymore. And so he gave him an opportunity to show and to say, okay, this is who I am now. All right, good. Do it differently. Do it differently. And they did. If you know the story, you go through the story and find out what happened. They did do it differently this time. And it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same outcome it wasn't the same experience. It wasn't the same thing. And you know what? It convinced, it convinced Joseph that something had happened and that they were different and something had changed. That was enough. And so the cup, I want you to think of it as a tool of testing because that's what it was. Like uh, somebody look at Matthew twenty six thirty nine. And somebody else, Luke twenty-two forty-two. Let's let's introduce this and, and let's begin to mesh some ideas here. Matthew twenty-six thirty-nine and Luke twenty-two forty-two. Point a little further, you fall on his face to the ground and pray. My father. Yeah. What's that? That's fine. That's good. How about Luke? Saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. All right. So here's a cup. New Testament. But here's a cup. And Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's making a decision. And something is being tested and proven here, again. And what's being tested and proven here is that Jesus is going to do the will of the Father. That's what's happening. And, and I think it's important that you see and that we witness his decision here. And that's why it's in the scripture that we do witness this. That we witness the fact that he had a thought process 
that we witness the fact that he had to consider some things. And as he considered those things, and as he went through that thought process, he was brought to a place of decision by which he made the statement and made the decision, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What can you infer from that? Going to the cross, taking on the sins of the world, being beaten, humiliated, tortured, not his will. That's what you can infer from that. Not my will, Jesus said, but yours be done. Oh, you mean Jesus had in him a different thought? Yeah. Jesus wanted something different than what was being presented to him? Yeah. Yeah. But you know what's different about that than us most of the time? He is obedient, right? He's obedient. He went and did it. That we see the decision-making process. We see it. We hear it. The cup, there it is. A means of testing, just like we saw a means of testing with Joseph and his brother. Here it is. I don't want this. Okay. But I'm going to do it anyhow. I'm going to do it anyhow because that's the will of the Father in my life. There's lots of stuff that we don't want. I mean, I, I don't want to be, you know, mean to you or anything, but, you know, in this life, there's plenty of things you don't want. I understand that. I get it. It's not the way you planned it. It's not what you thought it was going to be. It, it, it's not the way you pictured it in your mind. I get it. Man, there's tons of things like that. Tons of things that you, you run into. Tons of things. And life doesn't turn out like the movies. Life doesn't turn out like TV shows. It's not a half-hour sitcom. It doesn't get resolved at the end. All right? That's not life. It's not life that everything's resolved in a half hour or an hour. It's not. Resolution takes place not because outside forces all, uh, all converge and it all ends up the way you want it to. That's not resolution. Resolution ends up when you, you decide that, yeah, I wanted this other thing, but not my will, yours be done. That's resolution. And resolution takes place in you. Resolution doesn't take place out here somewhere where everything converges to your benefit. That is not the resolution. And that's not how it works. How it does work is that you make a better decision, a bigger decision, and probably something that costs you something. Even in this case with Benjamin and his brothers, I mean, those brothers, what they, what they need to do, they need to get back with the grain. People were starving. That's what they needed to do. And yet, when their brother was caught with this cup, there were some decisions that needed to be made. There were some sacrifices that were going to have to be made. And somebody was going to have to make a bigger decision than just what's best for me. So they had to make those decisions, and they did. Now you think about the cup that was stolen from Joseph. 
And I'll get back to Jesus. But you think about the cup that was stolen from Joseph. I mean, it was a cup that he drank out of every day. It was his daily use cup. I say it's silver, it was nice. And when the guy confronted the brothers with the cup, he's like, how could you take this cup? This is something he uses every day. It's not like he's not going to miss it, right? And, and it was confusing. It was like, well, of course he's going to miss it. And now we come after you. You haven't even got that far. Because we didn't look for it because it's gone. And he noticed right away when he got up in the morning, he's going to use his cup, have his morning whatever they drink in Egypt for breakfast. I have no idea. But he's going to drink his, you know, whatever, goat milk or whatever he's going to have. And his cup's missing. Well, who's the last people that was in the house? Well, there were those brothers that were in the house. Well, why don't we check them? Okay. Couldn't have got far. They just left at sunrise. And so what they were charged with... Two things. One is folly, because you don't take something that you're going to notice right away, especially if you're not moving that fast. Second thing they were charged with, and and this was the bigger charge, was ingratitude. Because what they had done is Joseph had shown them hospitality. He had given them beyond what they deserved. He had blessed them. He had provided for them. He had given them grain. He had done all of these things, man. He gave them everything. And how they reward that? They stole his cup and left with it. Now, we know the backstory, but this is the story that they're to understand, right? They stole his cup, and the guy that found the cup, he's like, how could you be this ungrateful? How? How could you be this foolish? Obviously, he's going to miss it. Obviously, we're going to come looking for it. Obviously, we're going to find it. And how could you be this unthankful, foolish, and evil? And that's what they were charged with, for rewarding evil for good. Joseph showed them good, and they just showed him evil. That was it. And so when you think about Jesus and you think about the, the cup that he had and, and you could call that cup from the Father, you could call that cup any way you want, but how often did Jesus drink from the Father's will in his life? How often? Every day. Every day. Every day, <laughs> Every day he, th- he drank from the Father's will. Every single day. And you know what? You can infer from the Garden of Gethsemane. There were probably some days he didn't want to drink from the the Father's will. I mean, he is human, right? And so maybe there were some days he didn't feel well. Or he wasn't that excited about whatever it was he was supposed to do. I don't know. I, I can't answer that. I don't know that for sure. But, I mean... If this is happening on the most important day, if you're looking at reason for being that Jesus left his throne in heaven, took the form, took on humanity, and became a human being, a person, and came here and lived among us while he was born and raised and how he grew up, if you look for reason for being, why is Jesus here? It doesn't get any more real than the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm going to the cross. 
I'm going to the Romans, and I'm going to be tortured, and all the rest of that kind of stuff, but it's going to be through that that mankind is redeemed. It doesn't get any more to the point than that. And if he's going to ask a question at that point, whole reason for being, even here, he's going to ask a question, he's going to say, all right, well, you know, I'd rather this, I don't really want to do this. Yeah, no kidding. I wouldn't either, but all I'm saying is if he's going to ask that, if he's going to say that right then, how many other instances of that likely were in his life? Probably lots. Because if you come down to the reason for being, and, and this, is the, this is the decision, all right, well, that would seem more obvious than maybe some of the smaller things that the Father had for him to do along the way, right? I mean, can you understand what I'm saying? It's the little things. It's whatever it was that the Father was calling him to do. It's whatever it was that the Father had for him that day. It's whatever it was the Father wanted him and, 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 and had planned for him. I mean, getting up at four or before there was uh, light and going to pray in a solitary place. Going from morning to night, praying for the sick. I mean, lots of stuff there, right? Walking on water, calming a storm. I mean, there's lots of things in there that maybe he'd have rather not done. I have no idea. But I'm going to tell you, though, what I really believe is that when we read in the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke 26, or, or excuse me, Matthew 26 or Luke 22, and you're reading that story, that's not the first time he drank from that cup. That I do know. That wasn't his first rodeo about making that decision. But he had been there before, and he understood what needed to be done. But he was honest about it, he was clear about it, and it was a decision that needed to be made again. Again. I mean, the Bible talks about how he, he set his face toward Jerusalem. That's when he was just on the way to Jerusalem for that final week. But Meaning he had to, to resolve in himself, set his face toward going there. So a decision was made then. And there was a decision made before that, and decisions before that. And every day there were decisions that were being made that this is the Father's will. I'll do it. Not my will, but yours be done. And so that tells us that we have these moments in our life, but it doesn't happen just once. In other words, you, you don't make some decision like one day. And, and maybe you have, and that's an important one. Like, I'm going to resolve and I'm going to do this. All right, well, when are you going to have to make that next decision again? Or that same decision again, maybe. Next day? Next moment? Next hour? Next week? I don't know. I don't have any idea. I don't know when it's going to come up again in your life. But you're going to need to make another decision. And another decision. And we make that decision every time it comes up that there's a conflict in us. I don't want to do this. Right. Right. Who's going to argue with you about that? I don't want to do this. There's lots of things I don't want to do either. I'm going to tell you you're a bad person because you don't want to do it? I'm not going to tell you you're a bad person because you don't want to do it. You're not a bad person because you don't want to do it. Jesus wasn't a bad person because he didn't want to do it. But he just made a bigger decision. Not my will, yours be done. That's it. He made that decision. But it was a decision he had to make the whole time. 33 years or however long you, you really know what you're doing. Let's say 28 years. I'm making the same decision over and over and over and over and over again. So when it came right down to it, the most important night, the most important time of his life, his whole reason for being, coming into the, into the world and being who he was, 
You know what he was able to do? Make the decision. Not my will, yours be done. Because it's a decision he had made many, 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 many times before. He knew what to do. And I don't know what happened with Joseph's brothers after he was sold into slavery. I don't know. We get some idea because you, you hear that them talking amongst themselves about what had happened. You get some idea about the heartache and the pain that took place in the home after that. You get some idea about how overprotective the father was over Benjamin. Okay? Didn't want him to go anywhere. Keep him at the house. Don't let him out. Because what happened to Joseph could happen to him. Got a paranoia going on in the family. You got to wonder how the brothers felt about that. How they blamed themselves. And you see that in some of their conversations. You see dysfunction even among the brothers trying to talk this thing out, trying to come to some kind of resolution or some kind of conclusion about it. You see those kind of things happening. Well, what had happened to this family after that decision was made? Nothing good. Nothing good. And so there were other decisions that were made after that. They couldn't fix that one, but they had to make some other decisions, right? And so those decisions had to be made along and along. Well, who's going to go to Egypt to get grain? Well, not Benjamin because he's not allowed out of the house. But we'll let the other guys go. All right. And how are they making their decisions along the way? Well, you can kind of see that. They're making decisions based on not their jealousy. They're making decisions not based on their own selfishness. They're making decisions not based on what's going to benefit them as individuals the most, but they're going and they're traveling on behalf of their father and of their family, and they're going to do what's best for their father and for their family. Well, that's a huge difference in what happened before. Something changed. And a new pattern had been set in their lives where that same whatever it was came up again, they're going to do it differently this time in the small things. It came up again, we're going to do it differently in the small things. In fact, when they went back to get Benjamin, you remember what the brother said? He's like, yeah, I, that I won't come back alive if he doesn't come back. In other words, something changed. That, that, that guy and those guys, they would sell their brother into slavery. Now all of a sudden they're willing to lay down their lives to ensure the safety of their brother. Something changed. Envy. You didn't see it anymore. Jealousy. You weren't seeing it anymore. Yeah. Because we talked about that on May 4th. Envy and jealousy. And Joseph. All right? That's what we talked about. And how these grown men were jealous of this kid. And it drove them to a madness that would have them sell their brother into slavery. Time passes, decisions are different decisions are made. How do you establish those new patterns? Well, you got to make different decisions, right? Starting now, starting that moment, starting when you realize that what's led to this crisis or this moment of, of failure, whatever it is that's in your life, I don't know. 
But I gotta make a different decision. When? Now? How about again? Now? Because you see time passed right then. Or, or tomorrow, or the next day, or a week, or a month. I don't know. How's that come up? I can't tell you. I cannot tell you how stuff like that works for you. I don't know. But they had to make those decisions. And how do you know they were making those decisions along the way? Because when it came down to it and Benjamin was taken, they made a bigger decision like, take me. I'll be your slave forever. But let him go. That was a bigger decision. And that didn't just happen in that moment out of a fit of jealousy and envy and pride and selfishness. He didn't just switch over in that moment. That was a decision that had been made over years so that in that moment of crisis he could make the right decision and do the right thing. You see, we practice that. We practice those decisions in the little things so that we can make those decisions in the big things. That's why. And so they did. Whatever the, the, the circumstances had come up, we don't know. They practiced those decisions. Same with Jesus. Whatever circumstances came up in his life, he practiced that decision over and over and over again. Not my will, but yours be done. Not what I want, what you want. Not my selfish, whatever I want to have done, but Father, what you have for me. And so as he practiced that throughout his whole life, the moment came, that's the decision. He can make it. He can make it. You know, I don't know how you see people and how they make decisions like that. I don't know if you even think about it. Like, how do, how do people make decisions to stand for their faith and be martyred? How do they make that decision? You know, because people do that. People are being martyred now. In this day and age, people are being killed for their faith. How do they make that decision? Well, it's not just right then. They've made that decision over and over and over and over again. And so when it came right down to it, no problem. No problem. Do I want this to happen? No. But not my will, yours be done. See, those are big decisions. They are. But they're made with little decisions along the way. So I described this cup, and this is kind of interesting to me. Because in describing the cup, you know, Joseph used it every day. He drank out of it. But then they made a, a statement here. It says that they, he divined from it. Now, we don't know that. It's just a statement that was made. That's something that uh, was common in Egypt. It's also common in other Eastern religions where they would take... You ever hear of, like, reading tea leaves? Yeah. Okay, so you have a drink in the cup, and then through some weird... Thing. They figure out stuff and they, they read stuff. The words there that are actually used there is to search thoroughly, to make trial, and to make discovery. 
That's what, that's what that means. And so it says that he uses that cup to, and I'll read that again, search thoroughly, make trial, and discover. Well, what was he using the cup for in those ways with his brothers? What was he doing? Right? Search out right? He wanted to search out what they really believed. He wanted to search out what they were really about. There's no divination in that. Not really. Okay, there's no tea leaf reading in that. All right, and that, that's really not what this is about. What he really wanted to know is what had really changed. And how are we defining change? The little decisions that have been made since he was sold into slavery. Had anything really changed? He wanted to know. And the answer was, yes, it had. It had. I mean, you think about Joseph. They, they probably thought Joseph had some kind of magic power, right? I mean, if you were, say you were a superstitious person or superstitious people, and you see this guy, he was a, he was a Hebrew slave, right? And he had been in prison, and he had interpreted dreams specifically. He had foretold the future through the interpretation of those dreams, and he was now second in command of all of Egypt. If you were a superstitious person, what would you think? That guy's got something going on. Now, we know he's got God going on. Right? We understand that. But they didn't understand that. They looked at him like, wow, you know, like, what kind of magic power does that guy have? And, and if you think about it, a lot of money in our society is made with that idea. What do I mean by that? All right. Find a successful person. Right? I don't care what the success would be. Money, okay, power, houses, yachts, <laughs> right? Or maybe weight loss, health, all right? So what's the natural thing to do if you make a ton of money? And everybody wants to know what? How'd you do it? Is it really a mystery? No, think about this for a second. Is it really a mystery? Where does saved money come from? I mean, it's a mystery, right? It's a mystery. Where do you find that? It's a mystery. You know, like, oh, we, they invested money in the stock market. That's a mystery. Well, no, they probably just struck it lucky or something. Who knows? But they can make a ton of money by writing a book to tell you how to do it. Because you want to know what's their magic. Right? They hit the lottery. What's their magic? How'd they do that? And I'll pay you a ton of money to, to tell me how to do that. How do they lose all that weight? How'd they do it? Well, I will pay you a ton of money to tell me how to do it. Because it's magic. It's not magic. It's not. It's not magic. And, and I know we don't really live in a, in a, what we would determine or we would say is a superstitious society. 
But do you see the superstition in that? Can you see that? Right? Even in Christian circles. Right? Oh, how'd that guy get such a big church? Pastor Andy, your church isn't that big. I bought you this book here. It'll tell you how to do it. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, I read that book. Yeah. And I read a different book and another book. And I read that book too. And what about that guy? I like that guy. I read his book. I still don't have a big church. I didn't discover the magic. And I didn't get it. I didn't get the magic. And and so I, I want you to consider... You know, those little seeds of superstition that maybe are in you. It's not magic. It's not magic how things happen. I mean, God does things. And we have a, we have a real faith in that. And we should. God changes things and you should have a faith in that. God moves and you should have a faith in that. I mean, all those things, that, that's real. It's not magic at all. That the same God who is it raised Jesus from the dead, let's just take it right to the big time, all right? The same God that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. Biggest thing ever in history. Let's raise Jesus from the dead. Well, he lives in you. There's nothing magic about it. There may be power to it, sure. There may be life in it, yes. But that same life and that same power and that that same anointing is in you and in me. We have that. We don't need magic. We don't need, you know, to 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 find out about, you know, X number of this and that or or whatever you're you're looking for. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. It doesn't get any bigger or better than that. And one of the things that he leaves us here to teach us, if you haven't gotten this yet, there's a reason why that the second that you accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, that you weren't zapped out of existence because you weren't, because you're here and I see you right now. So I know you weren't. The reason, and if you haven't gotten this yet, is that you're learning and growing. (laughs) You're learning and growing, and God gives you an opportunity to participate with him in what he's doing as you learn and grow. So we're learning how to make little decisions every day. We're learning how to live in the will of the Father, even if it's something we don't want to do. We're learning it. We're learning what that means. We're learning what it means that, that maybe sometimes our thinking isn't the same as his thinking. We're learning that in the way that we've been created, that sometimes what we want to do isn't what he has for us to do. Because that's just the way we're created. You're given a free will. You're, you're a being. You're, you've been created in the image of God. And you have your opinion. And God, God recognizes that. But you know what he wants you to learn? 
is that sometimes your opinion is just wrong. And sometimes your opinion just is, is not material to what the Father has. And he's teaching you to make a different decision and giving you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to make a different decision in the small things in your life so that when the big thing comes up or the big things come up in your life, you've already practiced the same decision over and over and over again. You've matured and you become more of the person that God wants you to be and you're able to make that decision. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's why you're not dead yet. You're still learning. I'm still learning. We're still given the privilege, the awesome privilege of participating with God in what he's doing in this world right now. As we learn. On the job training. Here we are. On the job training. So you have a cup. I got a cup. And it is a means, a means by which God gives us to see where we're at. And it's more of a, it's more of you and I taking something like that and being able to use that as a tool in our life, like Jesus did. You know, there wasn't anybody else there, really. It was Jesus and the Father. And, and he had a decision to make. But it was a decision he'd made many, many times. And here we are with whatever you want to call your cup. And it's through that cup that we're going to be able to really search thoroughly, make trial, and discover where we're at. And that's a good thing. Because maybe you're not where God wants you to be. All right. You can make a different decision today. And you, it's every day. You can make a different decision. What if you made the wrong decision? Well, you did. Make a different decision now. And practice that different decision starting right now. And make a better decision this time, the next time, the next time. Oh, I messed up. What's your opportunity? What's your opportunity? You can make a better decision. You got another shot. Okay. Make a better decision. Better decision. Better decision. Train yourself. That's what the cup's for. I'm going to train myself to make a better decision in the small things so that I make a better decision in the bigger things. And I know that sounds so boring. I mean... I'd rather, I'd rather, I'd rather hear about something else, you know, because it sounds really boring, but it's it's really kind of exciting actually to me. It's it's kind of exciting to me that God would use the same things, Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter, man. He uses the same stuff over and over again to teach the same lessons. That's exciting to me. That's exciting to me that I can fail today but I can succeed tomorrow. That's really exciting to me. It's really exciting to me that, that I, I serve a God that's all about training me up and teaching me and putting me in a position that if I'm faithful in the small things, he makes me ruler over big things. 
I like it. I like it a lot. And so this is going to speak directly to the idea of maturity. And it's going to speak directly to something else. And I'm going to try to end this here. It's going to also direct, speak directly to the issue of ingratitude in your life. And it does. Just being ungrateful. Ungrateful for who God is. Ungrateful for, and, and it could be anything, his provision, his love, his mercy, his grace, his protection, people that he puts in our lives, small encouragements that come our way, just living in ingratitude and ignorance as God continues to look out for us and protect us and keep us and provide for us without ever recognizing it. That's no way to live. That is no way to live. And it keeps us really from growing. I mean, little children, like little, little kids, they don't know how things work. All right? The power's on in the house. Awesome. All right? TV's on. Great. You can throw in a movie. Wonderful. You got a little box you can play a game on. Great. But they don't know how any of that works. They don't know where it comes from. Like, oh, yeah, you know, that costs money. Oh, somebody needed to go to the store and buy that. Oh, somebody thought of you enough that they gave you that for Christmas or for your birthday. Oh, you know, where do clothes come from? Don't know. How do they get washed? Don't know. Don't care. Okay, but what I'm talking about, how does food get prepared? No. See, those are little kids, right? As we get older, supposedly, not only supposedly, we begin to learn that somebody has to put in time and effort and resources for all of those things to happen. And while we may, in our ignorance as little children, be ungrateful for what we receive. As you get older, you can no longer live as a four-year-old. You just cannot. Can't. And there comes a time when we grow up and we recognize that somebody has sacrificed so that we can have. As we get older, we begin to realize, even if we go to work every day, even if you go to work every day, you still have a Father in Heaven that is providing for you. And, and no matter how old you get, and no matter how responsible you get, you continue to realize that there is a certain level of gratitude that goes into every single day of your life. We can't live toddlers those days are over and so I want to encourage you tonight I want to encourage you to consider that you got a cup and it's given to you by God and it's given to you so that you can grow and mature and learn
and you can also see who you really are. And if you don't like who you really are, the good news is that can change tonight. You can make a different decision tonight, and later tonight, and tomorrow, and the next day. And if you mess it up, you can make a different decision after that, and you can train yourself, and you can be trained by the Holy Spirit to make a better decision and live a better life. It's up to you to give it a start. It's up to you to get back on track. It's up to you to make a better decision. Let's take a few minutes. And all I want you to do, I just want you to really just recognize the cup that God's given you. And really, and just take a look at it. Take a look at that cup. Take a look at that tool that God has put into your hand so that you can grow and become somebody better. Because it's a supernatural tool. I'm not sharing a psychological tool. I'm sharing a supernatural tool that God puts in our hand. An opportunity. A chance. at something better. If you'll take it. Heavenly Father, I thank you that uh, you love us, and I thank you that you want us to grow and live and mature and become. First of all, I want to pray that you would uh, really rebuke ingratitude in us, in our hearts. And I pray that you would set us free from it. I ask you, God, that we would be a people that recognize uh, provision, whatever form that takes in our life. They would recognize the provision of others, would recognize the provision of, of you, that we would not fail to understand your protection and your care, we would not fail to understand your provision in our life, we would not fail to understand the love that you give, the mercy and the grace that have been poured out on us, we would not fail to understand life, life that you breathe into us every day. For Jesus, I, I want to say thanks for your example of making the decision in the small things. I want to say thanks for your example of making the decision in the big thing. Thanks for making that decision. And thanks for the life that we've received through that. So God, tonight I, I ask you that we would take hold of the tool that you give us. And I pray that we could begin to grow. For some of us, it's grow again. For others, it's continue to grow. And for some of us, really taking a hold of this and taking some steps forward that are different than anything we've done before. And I say good. I say good. That wherever we're at, good. And make a new decision. Not my will, but yours be done. Not what I want, what you want. Not what my selfish self says, but God, what you really have for me. 
I want that. Now we can make a bigger decision starting here and now and moving forward. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Do not judge who you are and who you will be by who you were. Do not judge what you will do by what you've done. Let's live in a better hope than that. Thank you, Lord. God, we say thanks for your mercy and your grace tonight. And thanks for new beginnings and new opportunities. We give you praise. Last these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good to see everybody tonight. Thanks for coming. And we'll see you again.